Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Friends with Kids, not to be confused with Friends with Benefits, what is, which is what I wrote down in my notes. Um, we, we already watched that movie. I know. Um, and thank God we didn't watch it again. Um, <laughs> we watched Friends with Kids, which came out in, I have 2011, but you said 2012. I think it was like. Because it's, I think it's like independent, so I think it came out at different places at different times. Because okay. I saw 2011, and then I also saw release date 2012. So sometime in the early 2010s, right? Um, and it's written and directed by Jennifer Westfeld, who is sort of like a indie rom com. The indie staple, yeah. She um, wrote Kissing Jessica Stein and Ira and Abby. Um, and this movie, Friends with Kids. I think this is maybe her most recent. I think so. And I think it's her directorial for only, I think it's her directorial debut. But don't quote me on that. I didn't look it up. And it stars um, in the main roles, Jennifer Westfeld, the writer and director, and Adam Scott. And then they are supported by John Hamm, Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, Chris O'Dowd, and Megan Fox. Oh, and Ed Burns. Yeah. The cast of Bridesmaids plus Ed Burns and Megan Fox. Yeah. Um, so And a shockingly underused Emily Gilmore. Oh, yeah, right. Sure, sure. Um, so a lot of, like, rom-com staples, I feel like, in this cast. Um, a lot of comedy. This is clearly a movie that was trying to do the calm as well as the rom with its cast. What were your predictions? Whoa. What? What were your predictions? <laughs> were we really going to ask each other that at the exact same time? Yeah. Um, I thought it would hold up. I think this is a rare movie that I think there are parts of it that don't hold up as well as I thought it would. Mm-mm. No, I didn't like this as well. In this viewing as I thought I would. I liked I still, it. A, I remembered liking it a lot better than I did. I still liked it. Yeah. I think. I think I probably haven't seen this movie since. I don't know. Probably in five or more years. And I think. As our own feminism evolves. Things that once seemed. Fem- there are. The body, there's body, there's problematic body shit in this all over the place. Like all over the place. And it makes it difficult. And a lot of it comes from Adam Scott and it makes it difficult to like his character at times. Well, and it's also like because Jennifer Westfeld is the writer director and because it's written by a woman, it feels like. And I don't know Jennifer Westfeld, obviously, at all. So this is me guessing but it feels like a lot of her internalized i would imagine she has some internalized body shit that comes out in this script because at one point adam scott's character when talking about the things he likes about megan fox we should say the premise of this movie uh adam scott and jennifer westfeld are best friends that he's kind of a player a womanizer they decide Mm -hmm. to have a kid together so that they can not worry about because they're probably in their late 30s how old are they supposed to be that they're getting up there to think about kids Um, yeah because they're getting older they can have kids and then try and find their people without the pressure of having children it's a engaging premise 
they have a baby and then he meets Megan Fox and falls in love with her. And then obviously Jennifer Westfeld falls in love with him. You get it. But when he's describing the things he likes about Megan Fox, one of them is that she's skinny, which I have but has big tits. Never. Skinny but has big tits. And the big tits, I've, I will give it. To, I have never really heard a man say about a woman's body. It just didn't read like how men talk. Right. They talk. I'm, I am not saying they don't talk about women's bodies. I am not saying there are not things they prefer in bodies. And I am not saying that men don't have internalized fat phobia. But men don't talk about skinny and fat the way women do. No. It just very much read as a line of, oh, this is a woman who, for whatever reason, the woman who wrote this movie <laughs> believes that men are more attracted to skinny. And th- so that line read as false. It was fat phobic. And, and it, it just felt like her own sort of anxieties and body issues coming out in this character it's like this is what i believe men think i don't know it was it's weird to like watch a movie written by a woman and be like oh you're not you you don't know how to write men yeah yeah there was like it was like adam scott was like a 38 year old frat guy and it just a lot of it felt very dated and it rang false like it just didn't feel like genuine and i agree with you like men talk about what they're attracted to they talk about you know when they're attracted to other people but it was very like frat boy in its delivery but then the rest of him didn't really it just it was very kind of there was a disconnect with that character I think and then also like there was this whole running kind of joke thing about her wanting her pre-pregnancy body back and wanting her vagina to stay tight and wanting to be back in the dating pool in six to eight weeks after giving birth, which let me tell you as someone who's given birth, that's banana pants. Um, And she wasn't, I mean, then like she wasn't back in the dating pool. And so there was that, but then there was this moment where they're like talking about how well this arrangement works for them early on after the child's been born. And he says like, I don't have to lie to you about being back to your pre-pregnancy weight when you're not. And this like focus on like her pre-pregnancy body and her pre-pregnancy weight. And again, like I don't, at least in my experience and granted, like I've only had the one pregnancy and the one husband, but like men are not that focused on your pre-pregnancy body or your pre-pregnancy weight. Like women are more focused on that than men are and like all they're worried about is like when can they have sex again right it felt like i think it's an interesting conversation to be had about the pressure we put on women at all but certainly post pregnancy about getting your body back to what it was before in a world where like your body experienced a trauma it's never gonna be the same as it was before and there's all this pressure of like a tight vagina and the body you had before and will my husband still want to or my partner still want to have sex with me after when my body is different but a lot of that feels like things women worry about that I'm not and again there are things women worry about that good men who you want to be your rom-com heroes don't obviously there are shitty men who think this but we don't want them 
as our rom com. That's not how we want to see Adam Scott when we're supposed to be rooting for him. And again, it felt like it didn't feel like it was getting to the conversation about that so much as it was just Jennifer Westfeld's own anxieties projected onto Adam Scott's character. It was like, this is her anxiety about how men think about women projected onto a character that we're then supposed to buy as a realistic rom-com lead. It really makes you wonder what type of man John Hamm is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just, um, I struggled to like connect to the Adam Scott character. And then I, because of that, I struggled to connect to the Jennifer Westfeld character because I was like, why is this the why person you in love with him? that you're in love with and, like, want to have a baby with? I also, like, I'm I'm a fan of everyone in this movie. And, and I'm a fan of Adam Scott. And I love when Adam Scott plays most, I mean, like, I feel like he's most famous for playing Party Down, which is, like, a cynical male lead. And then Parks and Rec, which is, like, the perfect male lead. But right. my favorite Adam Scott roles are um stepbrothers and uh sleeping with other people. Sleeping with other people. I love a mean I love Adam Scott as a bad person. And in stepbrothers he's like douchey funny. You know, it's a joke what a what a t- douche he is. And in um sleeping with other people he's the villain you're not supposed to be rooting for him he's the he's the bad guy and in this he felt like the bad guy but we're supposed to be rooting for him Mm -hmm. and i was like go over give me my rudolph and chris o'dowd's romantic comedy because that seems that seems complicated and honest but two people who i believe love each other like that's the relationship we want to see not a perfect relationship by any stretch but I, but Chris O'Dowd maintains, I mean, there were things that if he were my husband, I would murder him that he did. But I still believed in them as a couple, and I believed that they were both good people in a way I don't know that I believed Adam Scott and Jennifer Westfeld were. Yes, they felt, and like, granted, they're very secondary. Like, we don't see a ton of their relationship, but they felt very, like, authentic and worn in in a way that the Jennifer Westfeld and the Adam Scott characters didn't. They, like, they honestly, and maybe this is a testament to Chris O'Dowd and Maya Rudolph, and I think we've talked on this podcast when we did Bridesmaids, we've talked about how enormously talented Maya Rudolph is in it as an actor, so maybe a lot of this is due to her acting, but that coupling just felt far more like grounded in reality the rest of the characters felt like archetypes in a way well in chris o'dowd too we i i think i wrote down in my notes i think Maya rudolph is one of our greatest living actors and what a week to watch she is our first female our first black female vice president so to Maya rudolph congratulations um yeah this is our first episode since the election and let's all just like let's take like breathe a sigh of relief like let's lift that weight off our shoulders and American don't worry, Demo- American democracy gets to live another day. We will be putting links to how you can help in Georgia. <laughs> I was going to say, if, you're, if you really loved that we were linking in the show notes to ways you could help, don't worry, that's not going away. <laughs> yeah, guys. We still, Verified we Action win. Fund will be in the notes. Yeah, we got to win Georgia or, um, you know, well, like healthcare. Presidentially, we won Georgia. 
right it's official senate we need the senate guys um, court. I mean, that's a different podcast, but all I'm saying, you know, go watch like Vote Save America or the listen to Vote Save America, whatever. But scooch on over to Crooked Media, which right. if you guys want another podcast, we're right here. But we will be linking in the show notes to how you can help in Georgia elect Warnock and Ossoff. Great. Okay. Anyway, my movie. Right. I think what I was saying is I think we have said many times that I think Maya Rudolph is one of our greatest living actors. I think I think Chris O'Dowd is also enormously talented. Like I think maybe in an American audience, he's like he's this and um, bridesmaids and a couple other things. But he also has uh, he has a Irish TV show that's available to Americans on Amazon called Moon Boy. That's outstanding. And I recently watched like a, I found like a little weird Australian indie romantic comedy that I'm putting on the rom com list because it was so good. Um, and bar- the whole cast of that is good, but he, and he's the only famous person and he's great in it. Anyway, he's the only American famous person, I should say. Anyway. So whether it's because they're both very talented actors or just that the way they're written is more engaging. I don't know. They're just like, Adam Scott never seems to confront his flaws. He yes. never seemed to sort of get a comeuppance or to grow and change into a person. Because at the beginning of the movie, I was like, all right, he sort of sucks. But I guess this is going to be a movie. You know, this movie has a lot of when Harry met Sally similarities. It was like, this yes. is going to, you know, Harry was a womanizer. So this is going to be his movie where he sort of comes to terms with all of that and becomes a better person because he's in love with this woman. And that never really happens. And to be fair, and when Harry met Sally... Harry sleeps with a lot of women, but it's not in a, any sort of problematic way. And there's no sort of like, I don't know. There's less. Harry Burns is a much more endearing character than this character mm-hmm. because he never sort of addresses any of the fat phobia. And again, it's because I don't know that Jennifer Westfeld is addressing fat phobia. I also like, I, this sort of, so spoiler alert, like Adam Scott and Jennifer Westfeld end up together. Um, spoiler alert on this rom-com podcast. Right. The, the, they end up together. But like how he gets there is. There's not a lot of development of that. Um, like, I just feel like his growth is like kind of glossed over. Like we get yeah. a couple of scenes. We get a scene where we see like we kind of book in scenes of like him at a restaurant where there's kids and. You know, the first Adam Scott is like, oh, my God, who brings their kids to like a Manhattan restaurant? And then in the second, he's like endeared by it, you know, years later when he's got his own child. Um, But that's it. Like, that's supposed to be like, oh, we're like, oh, he's a better man now. And it's kind of like, I feel like we skipped some things. I also Um, am not sure. And I'm not a parent. So correct me if I'm wrong. But I don't know. I think there's like we talk about how there's a flaw. We talked about this last week with Overboard. There's a flaw in the sort of like, well, the woman makes him a better man. I also think there's a flaw in the premise of like kids make you a better man or woman like or a better person. Like you are who you are before you have children. You're going to be that person after you have children. If you're not like a loving caring person i don't think that kids are going to turn you into that like no i mean i do think there's an extent to which like kids make you less selfish sure. um and i think there's an extent to which literally like, have to be 
like your perspective on you know why parents make the decisions they do like why parents bring their kids out to dinner like I think your perspective on that does change so like that scene doesn't feel crazy to me you know like I had a very different perspective on kids in restaurants when I was 25 versus when I was 34 so like that doesn't ring totally false to me but it doesn't explain to me it doesn't for me like then get me to okay he's a worthy partner now this movie is set up as like as their friends Maya Rudolph and Chris O'Dowd and John Hamm and Kristen Wiig I would even watch the John Hamm Kristen Wiig dark romantic comedy where they don't because they are not a happy couple they do not spoiler alert, they do not stay together he is not all in a great guy but their relationship felt more nuanced than yeah although but we anyway, don't get was, like i think kristen wig says like maybe 10 words in this yeah we don't movie. she's just like sad that her husband is mean to her she's which, just like and like yeah we get your husband's mean the, to in you. the in the moments that we get of her like she's very good but it's far more focused like we get a lot more of like john ham's perspective on the relationship than kristen wig's perspective on the relationship which is and, weird like, since he's like fully shitty to her right um anyway my point was like i drop you drop your mic i drop my pen this isn't our day um the movie is set up as like as they're watching their friends have kids when they decide to have children they do it under the premise of like well because we're gonna do it better it's not gonna change us we're gonna still be like the hip cool independent new yorkers and also have a kid. We the, the idea is like we've bested parenting. We know how to do it so we can still live our lives but also have this thing I want. Leading to you leading you to believe that the resolve of this movie is going to be of course you can't do that. You become a parent and it changes your life. And it's like there are shades of that but that doesn't feel that like through line doesn't feel as strong. It's like mm-hmm. literally just in that one scene where he's like, oh, I'm okay with kids being in a Manhattan restaurant. But then it like veers off into like them loving each other. And like the fact that they have a kid is almost inconsequential. Like there's never any moment where they say to their friends, yeah. like, we were wrong. You can't be a, you can't be 50% a parent. Like whether or not you split custody or not, you, this is a, it's a full-time job. I don't know. It, it just seemed very sort of like we lost the through line of like, Oh, the premise of this movie is, can we outwit parenting? And the answer is no, but we never really get, we never really see that the answer is no. It's weird. Yeah. It's implied, but it's not quite like, I mean, we get a conversation between Adam Scott and John Hamm where like they've had kind of this blowout and they're like reconciling and Adam Scott says like John Hamm's right. And Jennifer Westfeld moves to Brooklyn, which like, God forbid you move to Brooklyn, which like in 2012 was Brooklyn was the- already like fucking trendy and expensive. And we were wrote, already like, gentrified. This is a privileged white person's take on New York because they're still doing the nineties. Like you can never leave Manhattan for Brooklyn thing. And it's like, you can't live in Manhattan unless you're a cajillionaire. Everyone lives in Brooklyn. Like this should be Brooklyn, Queens. Like, and they, they're like in a cab complaining about how many, it's like, you can afford to take a cab from Manhattan to Brooklyn and you're complaining. This isn't a New York. I understand. Right. <laughs> right. Um, you see them riding the subway like twice and it's like, what? I guess you're New Yorkers now. Like, no, you people take cabs from Manhattan to Brooklyn. Like that's easier. There's so much traffic. 
I do think, like, I do, be, like, you were talking about, you know, this, what's the sort of, like, answer about parenting and can you best parenting? I do, I think it helps that we have the Maya Rudolph-Chris O'Dowd relationship because for a while this movie has a very, like, bleak look at marriage and parenting and the, the effect that marriage and parenting can have on one's life. Um, so I appreciate, like you said, that we have this Maya Rudolph-Chris O'Dowd relationship where, like, it's obviously not perfect and it's complicated, but it's the There's message of emotional that... emotional labor problems in their marriage. Right. But, like, the message of that marriage is not, like, oh, God, don't ever get married. It's just, like, this is work. Um, yeah. And, and ultimately, I think the outcome of that relationship story is, like, this is worthwhile to both these people um, and beneficial and valuable and, the you know, was the right choice or whatever. So I think like peppered in there is trying to like flush out this, flush out this story of like parenthood and marriage and relationships, but we don't quite get the growth that I would like. Yeah. It's not, we don't see that with our main characters as much. There's like, I am confused as to why she just didn't end up with Ed Burns. Yeah. Like, obviously, because it's a romantic comedy and we're supposed to be rooting for her. But I was like, oh, her and Ed Burns and him and Megan Fox are better matches. I don't understand why you're not with those people. I almost wish there'd been, like, a gender swap here. Like, uh, I mean, so, like you said, this has very, like, When Harry Met Sally vibes. Like, Like, almost beat for beat. This is When Harry Met Sally, like, if they'd had a kid. Um, yeah, like they don't meet each other and obviously they have children, but this sort of like best friends can two best friends sleep together and not change anything is there. Well, and we, you know, we get the time jumps we get. Yeah, um, it's not as close as like a sleeping with other people is, which I think sleeping with other people is almost a remake. No, but I mean, you can feel like Nora Ephron's influence in Jennifer Westfeld's writing and directing for sure. Um, there's, and I, I would be surprised if she didn't acknowledge that because it feels kind of steeped in that. Um, so I almost wish there'd been like a gender flap because there's lots of like conversation about like, is Adam Scott having a baby with her? Cause he feels sorry for her. Like her biological clock is ticking and there's a lot of focus on her body. Like we already talked about. And so I kind of almost feel like if you'd flipped it and you'd made the man the one that, like, falls first. Like, we talked about with um, No Strings Attached. Um, it might have made for an interesting movie. It might have helped kind of flush out some of these dynamics that we're talking about a little bit better. Might have endeared us to the male character a little yeah, bit Yeah, because I wasn't convinced at the end that he didn't just feel sorry for her. Or that he wasn't just lonely and he was yeah. like, oh, well, there, you know, like, here's an easy family because it's already my family. And so I'll, you know, just decide that I want to have sex with her, too. He had no, there was no, when Harry met Sally, Harry standing in the street on New Year's Eve and figuring it out. moment. He's like in the car and they're trying to get there, but it's unclear what. Like, when Harry shows up, and I'm sorry, we're just going to keep referencing when Harry met Sally. When he shows up at that party, he has this montage where he's remembered everything that's gone on in their friendship. And then he shows up at the party and lists very specifically the things he loves about Sally. It's one of the best rom-com speeches because it's not just like, I love you, let's be together. There are 
intense specifics about why he wants to be with her. And that we don't have the montage. We don't figure out like Adam Scott sits in the car and then he turns around to run after her. And then he's just sort of says, like, it's not just because I'm lonely. And she's like, "Okay," Or he's going to, like, have sex with her to prove it. (laughs) We get that when Harry met Sally Styles speech earlier on, he lists all the things he loves and knows about her as a friendship but like and he's trying to prove to John Ham who he's having this blow up with that this was the right decision for them because he loves her platonically so we know that he loves her we yeah. know that he their cares friendship about is her. never in doubt right but we don't have the moment where we get to like oh he's also sexually attracted to her and wants to be with her in a romantic way we do get i so the ending I've always had very complicated emotions about the ending because I like his speech. I like, and both of their acting is quite good in that final scene where he says, like, we thought that we wanted to do all of this without the romance when, like, the building a family is the romantic part. Like, that line and that Mm -hmm. speech is incredibly lovely and emotional. And I love that kind of sentiment of, like, romance doesn't necessarily look like what you think it's going to look like, but building a family is romantic. Um, And again, I think that's what the Maya Rudolph and the Chris O'Dowd relationship sort of like embodies in this movie. But then that last line where they're talking about like fucking the shit out of each other, I was like, you've just undone like this entire lovely speech. And I get that like her whole hang up was that he wasn't sexually attracted to her. And so he's proving that. With this like incredibly like vulgar language. And I'm I'm not like pearl clutching. I don't mind the language. Other than it just takes you very much out of this lovely emotional exchange that has just happened. Right. Yeah, it's a little it's a it's like a little jarring. It's like, oh, that's how we're ending. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It just But and also we've like already seen that they can have set like they they conceived a baby via sex. Like which also, like, just side note, they have sex one time and get pregnant. And I'm watching this movie like, mm, yeah, right. That would never happen. And then I watch a bunch of teenagers on TikTok being like, I didn't know you could get pregnant from having sex once. And I'm like, idiots, of course you can. Right. But also, <laughs> but I, like, she's supposed to be 38. And biology is different between 18 and 38. Yeah. It's a little unbelievable that they're like, we did it once and now we're pregnant. It's like, I don't know that that's, I mean, congrats. I guess we're going to buy it for the movie but yeah I think like that last scene is very indicative of like the issue with the rest of this movie is it has really lovely sweet beautiful rom-com classic kind of moments and then it gets undone by something that doesn't quite connect right and I think that's kind of a struggle throughout this movie yeah it's a it doesn't feel like and again, I think Adam Scott is a very talented actor and can do, as we've discussed, very different types of roles. This doesn't feel like a role that Adam for this. This doesn't feel like him. And I don't know. And again, like I'm now thinking of all like I think Bach- Bachelorette is a great movie where he is. That is he's sort of like an atypical rom-com lead in that movie and it's, I it, maybe I haven't watched this movie in a while, but my, my memory is that it's more believable because 
he and Lizzie Kaplan have gone through this trauma together and they have to address it. He's not a perfect person, but he's not. Whereas in this, he just feels like, I don't know. It's hard to buy him as someone you'd want. I think, and I like, I think part of it is how he's written. Like, I think it goes back to what we were saying is like, he's not written as like any man I know, you know, we've talked in this, we've talked in the past about like rom-coms where the women aren't, women that we know and so it's very difficult to be like why am I invested in your story because you don't feel like real to me in any way we talked you know and that's how I feel about this Adam Scott character like he does not feel like any man I know and for and it and for like I know the the Chris O'Dowd character is familiar as a person I know for better or worse so is the John Hamm character I mean like those are two very different types of men who you're like yeah that I've I've met those men, some of them good, obviously John Hamm characters, some some of them not. So it's not that it's not that he's unlikable; it's that he's unrealistic. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's just hard to get past. And I think it's sort of bought because it's Adam Scott, and every, we all love Adam Scott. But it's yeah, hard I to... think Adam Scott being Adam Scott's doing a lot of heavy lifting here. <laughs> And, like, then you have handsome Ed Burns, the man every woman dates after her divorce. Like, he play in every movie, he's, like, the man the woman dates when she's trying to get over the other guy. Right. <laughs> Just, like, handsome and good. Right. In every movie, and Will and Grace, he is that character. <laughs> um, and at the end, you're sort of, like, Ed Burns is nice to her and sweet and understanding and be with Ed Burns. Yeah. And there's also, like, there's also, again there's a scene where they've all gone away to like a cabin for new year's and Jennifer Westfeld and Adam Scott have like brought their significant others who are because Ed, Ed Burns and Megan Fox. Megan um, Fox, the Broadway dancer can get out of her show new year's week. Uh-huh. No, she couldn't. And like, they're all sitting at dinner and Ed Burns is like, well, have you talked about like what you're going to do when he's older? Like how you're going to explain your relationship to him. And again, it, like, that's kind of a movie, like, a moment that took me out of the movie because I'm like, you wouldn't have had this conversation separately and privately with your girlfriend? Nor would you bring it up. Like, if I was da- if I was in this insane rom-com premise situation and the man I was dating brought that up, like, while we were at dinner with a bunch of other I'd be like, why are you asking me this now? Like, right. what an inappropriate time. It's a perfectly legitimate question, but what an inappropriate time to ask it. Well, and we've been told, like, Ed Burns is, like, so wonderful and so grown up and, like, mature and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, he wouldn't have, like, read the room on that one. Uh, It just, again, like, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite follow through from what we were supposed to know about this character. And it's not even that they're trying to, it's not even like it's supposed to be his, like, problematic moment. It's not supposed to be, like, revealing him as maybe not as mature as we believed him to be. It's just trying to get that. It's trying to get to the argument, the John Hamm, Adam Scott argument. We're just trying to get to a place. And and it's unnaturally written. Like, it's not a natural question to be asked. What Okay, so we both said at the beginning, we've, like, now, like, picked apart this movie, but we both said at the beginning that we liked it. So we what are the like things it. that you liked about it? Like, what did work for you in this movie? I think it's very funny. I think yes. despite the uh, criticism I'm giving to a lot of the writing of this movie, it's a very funny movie. Yes. And I think you're right. Like, the 
actors are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. This is a cast. This is a beloved cast. And we know it because it's the cast of Bridesmaids. Like, and I think Well, and they are all people who have, like, been in other rom-coms, not just Bridesmaids, but other things. Like, this felt like a very kind of classically written rom-com. And yes, then it's and full with, the like, this world of people. And there's a New York... Like I said, it's a very different New York than I think most people experience but it, there's a New Yorkiness to it like it was filmed in New- Manhattan so you mm-hmm. see I love you know a movie not filmed on a soundstage I the e- everyone's acting is good we'll have a diatribe on Megan Fox and how she is treated poorly I like the Megan Fox character mm-hmm. I like that she's sort of like I don't want kids I want this life that I have and I'm happy and it's almost like that's supposed to be a negative and i'm like no girl get it (laughs) like i don't know it's believable to me um and yeah it's just a it's like sweet and charming and very funny like at one point when she's giving birth adam scott's panicking and he says something about like don't do this i saw it on an er episode (laughs) like right and you like like, know exactly which er episode he's talking about because because it traumatized all of us (laughs) his wife dies and he holds his baby and cries and Dr. Green like looks at him through the, I can't, we got to move on. But, but there are those moments that feel like familiar and funny. At one point he's given her a coffee machine for her birthday and then they go to the bar after dinner with their friends and they're, they've set up the coffee machine to drink. There's a lot of little details in this movie that are very smart and very funny. Yeah. At one point he's talking about why he broke up with a woman and he says, well, she voted for Bush in 2004, (laughs) you know, and like that, like, there's just lots of good one-liners in this movie. Yes. And there's lots of good, like, kind of, like, physical comedy, too. You know, particularly, like, with the the Maya Rudolph character and, you know, like, when she's parenting. Like, there's, you know, there's just lots of good kind of There's all these jokes about him, moments. like, being on i guess i say like i want the maya rudolph chris o'dowd rom-com and as i'm about to say this next sentence we have it it's called this is 40 yeah there's this whole shit about like him sitting on the toilet while she's doing all this work and why does he take that there's this like run that he spends all this time in the bathroom that feels real and funny and again we don't need that rom-com because that's truly the premise of this is 40 but but those couples are interesting to watch and even John Hamm like his character is is not meant to be liked he's not a happy man he's clearly in an he's, unhappy marriage and he's not a kind he's very husband. much like Don Draper in the season when he's gotten fired <laughs> I said uh I, I this feels like a very natural John Hamm to me he is uh, he feels like Don Draper and mm-hmm. then I thought in my head because he's acting like a dick a dick Whitman <laughs> anyway i i like i like the two different i like the examples the two other couples set of the different types of marriage you could have because you're right there is some cynicism on what marriage is but there's also optimism in the my rudolph and chris o'dowd character i don't know there's a lot that's good about this movie um and then it just is also clouded by i think some what feels like Jennifer Westfeld's own insecurities that have, that are not worked through bleed into this movie and takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah. 
there's a Megan Fox line when he's explaining to her a situation when they're first meeting and he says like I have a kid but I'm not in a relationship and she says did you knock up a Catholic girl that is a funny line yeah so great segue let's talk about Megan Fox um Megan Fox is in my opinion a wholly underrated actor particularly a com- underrated comedic actor who got pigeonholed into being the hot pin of girl because Michael Bay put her in the Transformers movies and made her into an object and didn't let her fucking do anything. And when she gets to be in stuff that's written by women, she is charming and funny. Now, she generally plays this same character, this sort of, like, cool girl with an edge. She's the hot, cool girl. So... You know, we're not doing a lot of, like, super deep acting here, but she is funny. And she plays this character very well, and I think she got screwed by Hollywood sexism. And I want to see more of her. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Uh, Carrie wrote, this is my, I wrote down, this is a Megan Fox stand podcast, and Carrie was like, I have a Megan Fox TED Talk. (laughs) There's an interesting paradox to Megan Fox and that it is clear that she can do more than just being a sex object in movies like the Transformers. She clearly has comedic timing and talent. The problem is she problem quote unquote problem. She looks the way she looks. So it's very hard to accept. I wonder if it would be difficult. Now we haven't tested this, but I wonder if it would be difficult to accept Megan Fox in different kinds of roles because she has such a specific, intimidatingly hot look. It's like, I'm not going to buy Megan Fox as like a down on her look, (laughs) like rom-com heroine, because no one's going to believe, like, I'm interested to see where her career continues to go. And if she'll just keep continuing to play like hot, funny woman, or if there's going to be like, I wonder what the broader role is for her because I think it's hard to buy a woman that beautiful and this is maybe sexism but a hard to buy a woman that beautiful is anything other than a hot woman I think what movies like this and uh this and this is 40 and what was the other one and new girl and I haven't seen Jennifer's body but I am I've only heard that it does the same thing. I think what all those kinds of movies do with her character is gives extra depth and layer to like hot woman. You have a really, you get a more interesting character and she can clearly do it. But I don't know that you could strip away the pinup girl and have it be believable because right. she looks the way she looks. But I do think like she's found a really nice niche in where she's like playing the pinup girl with a personality. For sure. And even and in I- this movie, like when Adam Scott's describing her to Jennifer Westfeld and he's like, she's skinny, she has tits, blah, blah, blah. Jennifer Westfeld's like, does she have a personality? And then he goes on to explain her personality. Again, lending more credence to like maybe Adam Scott's not the most like interesting character himself. Yeah. Um, but he does go on to describe her personality, and we clearly see her personality. Yeah, she has uh, a personality. She's fun, and she's interesting and funny. Yeah. And I I like when we get to see Megan Fox in those roles. I, yeah. I know there are people that disagree with me. I know this is not a universal opinion. I loved her arc on New Girl. I thought she was great on New Girl. I thought mm-hmm. she was 
a fun addition. I thought she mixed things up really nicely. And the thing that Liz Merriweather did well is that she wrote very different women. Like, all of her women are different. Um, and so, she, like, Megan Fox was brought in at a time that Zoe Deschanel was out on maternity leave. And I think the easy thing to do would have just been to, like, bring in another, like, quirky, funny girl. But we didn't do that. Um, and I think we got to see some really fun stuff from Megan Fox. Well, and the interesting thing, not only was she the opposite of the quirky, funny girl, she was she was like the hot, cool girl, which New Girl already had. We already had hot, cool girl. And somehow they were able to make Cece and I forget her character's name on New Girl. I didn't. I'm one of the people that doesn't love her season of New Girl. But those two characters are very different. And Megan Fox is more than just like. The that ser- that season of New Girl strips Megan Fox's characters down and you get to see her like insecurities and her and her struggles and it's very funny and it's and it's and she's a different character than Cece. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that is because Liz Merriweather is a good writer who wrote it that way. And because Megan Fox is a good actor and can act it that way. Right. I just think. I don't know. I I'm fascinated by Megan Fox because I think she has an interesting career and I hope she continues to get roles that allow her to do more things than just be hot girl archetype. Mm -hmm. Yes, she's always going to be hot girl with something else because she's She's so hot. (laughs) She's so gorgeous. Like you can't make her like the dowdy woman. Right. But we can make her hot girl with all these other nuances. And I like when a movie does this. And this movie, as much as it can, she doesn't have a very big role, but it does that. Yeah. We should watch Jennifer's Body. Not for this podcast, because it's, I don't think, in any way a rom-com. But you and I should just watch Jennifer's Body for fun. Oh, let's talk about the fact that she has to move to Brooklyn. Because she's not rich, so she buys a brownstone that, I swear to God, costs no less than $4 million. (laughs) I know. There's this whole scene about how she um, can't afford to live in Manhattan anymore. She needs more space, and she can't afford to buy it in Manhattan. So she moves into this fucking stunning brownstone in Brooklyn that has, like, these floor-to-ceiling windows and, like, lots of open space and all this stuff. And I was like, this is – we're not talking about, like, 1995 Brooklyn. We are talking about 2012 Brooklyn. That brownstone would have cost you upwards of $2 million. If that, like – Right. This movie was written – and I I feel like I'm shitting on Jennifer Westfeld, a woman who I like and respect a lot. I really – but – there is a level of she she and John Hamm were very rich. They're no longer together. Rest in peace that relationship. I hope they're both happy. But they're this was clearly written by someone without perspective on what things cost. But also like I feel like that like we live in Manhattan and we have fancy jobs and we buy espresso machines like that has a very sort of like rom-com feel to it. It, yeah. it it has, like, again, it has that sort of, like, Nora Ephron-ness steeped into it. But the other thing that I think Nora Ephron does better than this movie did is this movie is sort of straddling a line between the Nancy Myers mm-hmm. wish fulfillment homes and the Nora Ephron really lived in homes. Now, granted, When Harry Met Sally takes place in 1989, 
and they both so they both live in Manhattan, but they have homes that feel like they could afford to live there and that they do live there. Whereas this feels like they can afford to live there, but they're trying to tell us they can't. It's like you have very nice homes, like you're clearly very wealthy people. Just be wealthy people. We mm-hmm. we all watch and love Nancy Myers movies and there is not a poor person in sight in those movies. But don't it felt like it, a Nancy Myers movie trying to sell itself as a as a Nora Ephron movie. Where again, like people in Nora Ephron movies aren't poor, but their living situations feels correct. It feels realistic. Right. In a way that this one didn't. And I would have been fine with that if we're not then trying to sell, you know, I can't live in Manhattan, so I have to move to Brooklyn. Okay. No, yeah. you, you have to move to Queens. I'm so sorry to tell you. If your finances are what you're telling us they are, you have to move to Queens. Right. But I still like it. All right. Summarize it for us. Would you, would you watch again? I would watch again. I also, I think we got to uh, explore the other two Jennifer Westfeld yeah. movies. Um, and sort of determine, much as we did with the Nora Ephron rom-com trilogy, determine what if any are our favorites mm-hmm. um there are a handful of movies i would reach for before this but on a rainy sunday i'm watching yeah this doesn't crack into my top 10 but i did enjoy it um i do think i would watch again particularly like if it's like one of those oh this is on tv i'd watch this yeah um, it didn't feel like work no not at all it. and it wasn't a drudge like it was fun to watch um I did make me want to watch more of her. I've never seen I Ran Abby or Kissing Jessica Stein. So I. I went through a period where I watched all three. And I don't remember them well enough. So I want to go back and watch. Yeah. I would. It definitely made me want to explore more of her work. Um, Because I do as much as we've criticized her. I do think she's a very good writer. And I'm interested to see. Uh, how the other two do when she is only the writer and the actress. Sometimes I think once you try and take on all three, it, you, anyone, you're just splitting your yeah. Pick pick two and do them well. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. Yeah, if and we've talked about that with Efron. We've talked about that with Judd Apatow. I mean, there's an extent to we talked about that with um, who's who's the British Richard Curtis Efron Richard Cur- Curtis. They have decided Richard Curtis shouldn't direct his own movies. Yeah. So I think there's an extent to which you're right. Like there's um, a division of labor can be helpful. So yeah, I'm excited to see, um, see more from her. Um, where can people find us? Oh no. What are we watching next week? I'm trying to bring it up, but the internet's being slow. Here, maybe I can do it on my phone. Oh wait, it's coming. fun next week we are watching i don't know why this feels like a holiday movie it's not but it's coming out right after thanksgiving we're watching crazy rich asians oh fun i think just because it's like big and bright it feels yeah i think it came out around the holidays so it feels like um but we're not yet into like our holiday no No, but after that we will be crazy rich asians is our gateway into the holiday season and that feels correct i like it um, I've never seen it, so I have no predictions. I have already watched it in quarantine. <laughs> um, so that'll be a fun one. You have no predictions? You can't even predict? I mean, I suspect that it'll be 
like, I mean, it came out fairly recently, so I think it'll likely hold up. I think I'll enjoy it. From everything I've heard, I think I will like it. I also think it's written and directed by a woman, which is always, always a good, always yeah. helpful. Um, I like all the actors. Um, I've seen them in other things, and I enjoy them. Yeah. So, all right. Join it. You can find us on the internet. You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod. You can find us on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. And you can find, I mean, obviously you found this podcast, but tell your friends to find it wherever they get your podcast. And please do rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, we appreciate it. We do so appreciate. Tell your friends to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, and find a way you can write, we'll put all of these links in, but you can donate to, uh, fight fair action, uh, in Georgia, which is Stacey Abrams organization that helps, um, get out the vote and combat voter suppression. You can write postcards to Georgia voters. You can phone bank, you can text bank. We're going to find all the resources and put them in the show notes so that we can keep or flip the Senate to blue and have two democratic senators in Georgia. And also God bless America. Donald Trump will not be president in two months. Bye. Thank you. Bye.